Jesus and his identity was often an issue for himself and for those around him. Very often you are going to find people asking themselves or even Jesus directly. Who is this man? And uh, we can understand it because Jesus made statements that are very intriguing. He was talking to the Jews and he said, you are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I'm not from this world. And they said, who is this man? And then they dragged Jesus to Abraham. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And they said, you don't have enough 50 years. How could you see Abraham? He said, Abraham saw my day. And he rejoiced. Who is this man? And then you go to other places like uh, when he healed that uh, paralytic brought through the roof of the house, brought in front of him and he said, your sins are forgiven. And the Jew says, who is this man that dares to blaspheme? Of course, to pronounce somebody's sins forgiven was an attribute of God, but they did not know that they were facing God himself. Who is this man? Even the disciples, when they crossed the boat and Jesus was sleeping, suddenly the storm came and they said, we are dying. And they said to Jesus, we are dying, not those I am dying and you are dying. As if the creator of the universe was going to die in a storm. And Jesus just said, peace. And everything was calm. And the disciples look at each other and said, who is this? That even the wind obeyed. Who is this man? That was the, the intriguing question that was everywhere. After the triumphal entry in Jerusalem, the people saw that crowd come and sing and they said, who is that man? So the identity of Jesus was often an issue for those who could see him or hear him. I'm going to present to you in a form of a thesis this morning. It is my strong belief, and be pay attention to this because it's important. It is my strong belief that Jesus came and he wanted the world to know that he was the Messiah. I'm repeating. It is my strong belief that Jesus came and he wanted the world to know that he was the Messiah. But he was not proclaiming that openly. He was just acting and letting them 
come to conclusion. So, by this morning, I'm going to explain this by going through chapter 16 at the end and chapter 17 of the Gospel according to Matthew. And I invite you to come there if you have your Bibles with you. I am not uh, using PowerPoint this morning. I just like sometimes to go to the Word itself. Nothing wrong with PowerPoint. Sometimes I do use it. But today I'm going to the Word. Okay. And I read the chapter 16, verse 13. When they came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, after some time preaching, healing, traveling, touching lives in different ways, Jesus comes to the disciples and asks, what is people talking about me? In other words, how am I perceived by the crowds? And the answer is very disappointing. Very disappointing. What did they say? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Believe it or not. John the Baptist had baptized Jesus, but he had died. So some people are thinking that is John the Baptist coming back. Others say Elijah. Of course, there was the promise that Elijah would come again. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, there was confusion out there. Everyone had a different idea. The point is that no one out there was saying what? He is the Messiah. So Jesus, who had lived with his disciples very closely, he asked the crucial question, and what about you? In other words, a quiz, a test after so much teaching. Let's go to a test. What about you? Who do you think I am? And Peter stood up and said, You are who? The Messiah. Christ in Greek is Messiah in Hebrew. You are the Messiah. That was very clear in Peter's mind. You are not Jeremiah, not Elijah. You are not John the Baptist. You are not one of the prophets. You are the Messiah, the promised one. And Jesus was somehow happy. At least one of the disciples knew. And Jesus said, by the way, Peter, it did not come to you from your own smart ideas. It came through the Holy Spirit who revealed to you. But then Jesus is going to say something important. Look at this. Verse 20. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So I am contradicting myself here. Am I not? I told you that it was my solid conviction that Jesus wanted the world to know that he was the Messiah. But now, when the first person... Peter says, you are the Messiah. He said to them, don't tell anybody. Why? The reason is very simple, brothers and sisters. And this is a 
turning point. If you have never seen that turning point in Jesus' ministry, look at the next verse. Verse 21. From that time on, underline this in your Bible. From that time on. In other words, that was the beginning of phase two of Jesus' ministry. From the time, that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers, and, and teachers of the law, and they must be killed, and in the third day be raised again. And that was the turning point. In other words, Jesus said, okay, you got it. You got it. You know that I am the Messiah. However, in your mind, the image of the Messiah is so, it's so false. It is so twisted that I have to start now phase two. The Messiah that you are expecting is not the one that is coming here. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that in the time of the Jesus the schools of uh, the rabbis discussed about Jesus and some came to the conclusion that there were two messiahs. One would be the king, strong, conqueror that will chase the Romans. The other will be the suffering servant that will be killed. Because they could not put the two images together. How can a king conquer be a servant killed? You can't put this in one person. It's impossible. So some Jews said, well, there must be two messiahs because we cannot reconcile those two images. And that's what Jesus was trying to do. From that time on, he said, now this is the messiah that I am. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten. And I'm going to be killed. But on the third day, I'm going to raise again. And the same Peter that says, you are the Messiah said, not on my watch, Lord. It's not going to happen. In other words, I'm not going to allow you to be killed. And he meant business, by the way. He meant business. And Jesus said, to the same Peter that was the instrument of the Holy Spirit, you are now instrument of Satan. Get behind me, Peter. And he started talking about, and I'm going to read again here, uh, verses 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose his life will save it. In other words, if you want to be my disciples, that kind of disciples, of that kind of Messiah, you have to deny yourself. If you are thinking about big things now, things are different from now on. And then he says on verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. In other words, 
You are going to suffer. You are going to be persecuted. Tough times ahead. But keep your mind at the end. Because at the end the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father. In other words, don't look only to the problems now. Look beyond the problems. Try to have a glimpse. Try to have a vision of the coming of the Messiah in the glory after he suffers. And then he said something that many Seventh-day Adventists have a problem. I had it too. Said verse 28, and I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. First point, brothers and sisters. He did not say that they are going to enter the kingdom before they taste death. What did Jesus say? They are going to see. They are going to see the glory of his kingdom. They are going to see. And when did it happen? Immediately, six days later. Let's go to, to chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them to the high mountain by themselves. In other words, some of you, not all of you, some of you are not going to die before you see the Son of Man come in his glory. And he took three. And he went to that mountain. The only purpose of the mountain of transfiguration, the only purpose of that transfiguration was to give to those three disciples a kind of foretaste of the glory to come. A foretaste to show them this is going to be the coming of the Lord. So they went there, and what happened? Let's read again verse sec, second verse of chapter 17. Then he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as, as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. In other words, not only was Jesus now surrounded, shrouded by glory, to show the disciples, this is what's going to come for you too. There is a cross, yes. There are hard times ahead. But eventually, this is going to be the glory. That is my kingdom. And by the way, he is Moses. And he is Elijah. Those two from this world who are already enjoying the glory of the kingdom. When I was in Rwanda... I was teaching theology there, and uh, one day somebody asked me, what was Moses and Elijah saying to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? And I was very, uh, it was a very unfortunate answer I gave, it was because it was so clear in my mind, but the person I was talking to that was not clear for that, for that, for that person. And I said, they was, he was talking about his exodus. And, uh, and the person shook his head and, and left. And, and I said, how foolish I was now. 
and I failed to correct because exactly that's what it was. The, the text in Greek says he was talking about his exodus to Jerusalem. The translation is the departure to Jerusalem. In other words, like the people of Israel was redeemed by the exodus, Jesus was going to Jerusalem in a redemption mission. And they were talking to Jesus about that mission. In other words, they came to say probably to Jesus, go on, we know it's going to be tough, but there is light in the other side. You are going to redeem there is an exodus for the Christian people and you are going to redeem us. So there came Moses and Elijah. By the way, it's not on Matthew, it's probably on Luke that you find that. They were talking about his departure to Jerusalem. But they came to comfort Jesus and there was that atmosphere of glory. Sometimes I, I don't know what glory is because we've probably never seen it, but you know, we said that all have seen and has lost the glory. I believe that Adam and Eve lived in glory. And uh, when they sinned, they lost that shroud around them. That's why they felt naked. But something about glory, that should be something fantastic. And uh, Peter is going to react. Always Peter. Sometimes talking what he does not understand. And Peter said, Lord, it's good to be here. If you wish, I'll put three shelters or three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Luke said that he did not know what he was talking about. And I believe he did not know what he was talking about. But he had to say something anyway. But what was Peter saying really? I'm going to tell you what I think he was saying. Lord, you came to show us the glory of the kingdom. The kingdom of glory. That's nice. But we like it here on earth. Remember that after the resurrection, they still said to Jesus... Is it at this time that you are going to establish the kingdom here on earth? Everything was on earth, on earth. The, the mind was set on this earth. So Peter was saying, Lord, it's good to be here. I like this glory, but do you want the glory here? Not somewhere else up there. We like the glory of the kingdom more than the kingdom of glory. It's good to be here. Can we retain that, uh, that experience here forever? What Peter was saying through his words without necessarily knowing what he was doing, other people without saying had reacted that way. Think about Noah. Why did not people go to the ark? Because it was good to be there outside the ark. They were enjoying life. Why should we go to the ark? Life is good here. 
Why did Sodom and Gomorrah and why did Lot and his wife hesitated to leave Sodom? Because it was good to live there. They had everything they needed there. Why should we lose this opportunity to live in Europe? I came to Canada 24 years ago and this is a great country. It's good to be here. Look at the news. Look at the present plight of the immigrants in, from Syria, from some parts of Africa, those that are flooding Europe and they don't know how to handle it. And we think we are blessed. This is a great country. Freedom. We can work. We can get the necessary things of life. We never wonder where the avocado comes from or the oranges. We just go to the supermarket and buy them. You know, we don't have to plant anything because somebody is planting somewhere. We just have the, the hard currency that purchases it. And it's good. It's good. It's so good that maybe we may start seeing in our heart the same feeling that Peter was having without saying. Why don't we establish here, Lord? We buy our houses. We have deep roots. And uh, we feel good about it. And maybe, like Peter, we may be saying to, without saying, without saying, Lord, it's good to be here. God has a different plan for each one of us. By the way, I'm so happy that Peter understood it later. I'm going to read to you the second epistle of Peter, chapter two, chapter one, sorry. Second epistle of Peter. Peter, second epistle, chapter one. Verse 16, he says this. We do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power of and, and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's talking about here? The second coming. We are not talking here about uh, things that we invented. Why? But we were eyewitness of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter remembered that. Later on he understood and he said, when we talk about the glory of the second coming, we are not inventing story. We saw it. We were there. We heard the voice of the Father say, 
You know, this is my beloved son. And, and, and we saw that glory. We know that he's real. It's not invented. That was our mountaintop experience. But Lord has given us opportunity. And uh, I come back to the point that I brought a few minutes ago. It's very easy without saying anything to anybody to be living Peter's experience. It is good to be here. And by the way, it is. It is. The only thing is this is not our destiny. This is just a temporary thing. That's not the final point for our lives. We are crossing here. We, be thank we should be thankful to God for what he has given us on this earth. But if our roots are getting too deep on this earth, please pray the Lord to unroot us. Because, yes, I have a house and I have a car. But they are fuel for the fire. Sorry to say, yeah, they are just fuel for the fire. I cannot put my heart there because they are going to go one day. They are going to go. The glory to come is more important. During the Second World War, Americans were spread throughout islands in the Pacific. And they were fighting Japanese there and some were caught in the jungles. And many years later, somebody discovered one American living with the native people in an island. And the government of the U.S. said, wow, this is interesting. Let's take some... And they, they sent a special mission to bring home this hero from the Second World War. And they sent him there. And they got there with all the pomp and all the preparation and talked to the man. And the man said, no thanks. I've been living with these people. They are now my family. I like it here. It's good to be here. Not going back to the U.S. It's good to be here. And uh, we run the same risk, brothers and sisters, to be so rooted in this world that we lose the perspective of the second coming. By the way, just bring to a final point, when they were in the Mount of Transfiguration, do you remember what was happening down the, the plain? The other disciples were fighting against the demon-possessed. And they could not solve the problem. When Jesus came back, they said to Jesus, this man is possessed and we, we could not chase those bad spirits. And Jesus had to act. The mountaintop experience was experience necessary for those three. But there, back in the plain, still there is a job to do. 
And brothers and sisters, there is a job to do there. I'm so pleased to hear that you are engaged in those 50 days of prayer. Last year we were in the same experience. I was particularly blessed, my wife and I, every morning as we study, as we pray together, and as we follow those devotionals. It was a special blessing, and I encourage you, if you have not engaged yet, engage yourself. Because there is a work to be out there, to be done. There is, a, we may be in that mountaintop experience, but in the plain there is work to be done. And we have to finish that work. And then, the day will come when we will have to say goodbye to everything that is good here. Because it is good to be here, but it's going to be better. Much better. Way better in the kingdom of glory. God bless you.